I think that idea of a partnership is one that will allow that relationship to be more sustainable. So it's not just a, an individual, it's really a high-level university partnership. And it will also be, we hope, more embedded with the local community, with the local students and faculty at the university, with our own alumni and other community organizations. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. We learn all about Cornell's new collaborative interdisciplinary initiative with partners around the world, Global Hubs. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. Today, we're going global. We will talk about Cornell's new global hubs with our colleagues Wendy Walford, Rachel Beatty-Riedel, Shebnam Ozkan, and Cindy Tarter. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Wendy, Rachel, Shebnam, and Cindy. Thank you. Happy to be here. Before we hear all the exciting details about the new Global Hubs initiative, let's start by having each of you briefly introduce yourself. Tell us what your role is with the Global Hubs and what your background with languages looks like. Wendy, why don't you get us started? Thanks so much, Angelica and Sam, and thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here. I wish the audience could be in the studio with us because it's quite a fun time. So my name is Wendy Wolford. I am a faculty member in Cornell's College of Agriculture and Life Sciences in the Department of Global Development, and I have been the Vice Provost of International Affairs since before the pandemic, so BTP, <laughs> um, <laughs> roughly four years ago. I think, you know, I've always loved languages. I took Latin as a small child all the way through middle school and high school. I draw my line from that point to vice provost through being a cocktail waitress in Italy for a year before I went to college. So <laughs> Italian is maybe one of my favorite languages, but I have worked in Brazil and Mozambique for years and years and um, also love Portuguese. So can I kick it over to Cindy? Hi, everyone, and um, thank you as well, and I'm so excited to be here. Uh, my name is Cindy Tarter, and my position at Cornell is Senior Associate Director of Education Abroad, and that's in our Office of Global Learning. And I, what that means is that um, I support and lead our study abroad side um, for the university. I see my role with Global Hubs as distinctly to support uh, the student experience, so thinking about the mobility side, um, and again, moving those pieces forward. And it's an extremely exciting initiative um, for all of us um, in mobility at the university. My relationship to language, um, just in brief, um, I was um, very privileged to grow up in Haiti. And so my parents um, spoke French and Haitian Creole uh, to us all the time and we were exposed to it pretty regularly. Um, they would talk in French at the dinner table, you know, when they didn't want my brothers and I to know what they were scheming. Um, <laughs> so that was um, a great uh, exposure to language too. Um, later, as a postgraduate and a graduate student, um, I lived and worked in Kenya, in Tanzania, and in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I had the opportunity to learn um, a lot of Kiswahili, 
mm-hmm. and and how it's spoken in those regions and why, and um, which has so many cultural and historical layers. And if I look back at my own language uh, experiences, I think of Kiswahili as really my most recent and and fundamental um, grounding uh, mm-hmm. in a language. I'll pass over to Rachel. Thanks so much for having us on. It's great to be here with everyone. I'm Rachel Beatty-Riedel. I'm the director of the Anaudi Center for International Studies at Cornell and also a professor in the Department of Government in the College of Arts and Sciences and in the New Brooks School of Public Policy. Um, my role in our global hubs that we'll be talking about today is um, connecting our faculty across campus to our, our partner institutions across the world and hopefully helping to plan collaborative research projects, catalyze um, relationships in which we can co-program and uh, have new and interesting academic events according to themes and questions of interest. Um, so it's really a great and exciting opportunity for faculty as well as students, undergrads and graduate students alike to get involved. My pathway, I would say through language, has shaped everything that I've done. Um, since starting to learn French, I think at kind of a late stage in, this, in, in terms of starting in high school, I was able to study abroad in Senegal during my um, junior year of college. And so the language really shaped in part the destination because mm-hmm. I was able to take my classes in French. Um, and that was really instructive. But even more instructive was the opportunity to be around fellow students, friends, peers who were so multilingual. The number of languages my fellow students in Senegal spoke was truly amazing and the fluidity with which they could change um, from one language to another. And uh, I had there also the opportunity to learn Wolof. So um, that was definitely an interesting language experience and one that has really shaped my research and my interest in how language allows us to communicate. And Shebnam. Thank you, Angelica and Sam, for this invitation. It's wonderful to be here with you. Um, My name is Shebnam Özkan, and um, my uh, position is Associate Director of Global Hubs. Um, and I'm responsible for coordination and operations um, of the initiative. Um, and as you can imagine, there are various uh, moving parts um, mm-hmm. to global hubs. Um, so my job is really to hold it all together and make sure that everything um, aligns uh, with each other. It is such an exciting um, and innovative uh, initiative. Um, I love the fact that it's uh, this multi-dimensional and holistic approach to, to global uh, partnerships. So uh, my background in languages, well, I grew up in Turkey, so I'm a native speaker um, of Turkish, which is a fun language to, to learn, I hear from others. Um, but um, I speak English. I um, was exposed to English at a very early age. I went to a school, um, middle school and high school, where the entire education was in English. So we were really immersed um, in the language. And then I tried German a little bit and failed miserably. (laughs) I tried to pick it up a couple of times, but just didn't work. Um, So I'm gonna stick with uh, English. But I always um, also wanted to learn Spanish. So that's that's a goal, uh, like a personal goal uh, for myself that maybe I'll I'll finally get to do it uh, at at Cornell. Um, So that's my language um, background. But I've also worked in um, 
national resource centers and collaborated a lot with language resource centers uh, in my professional uh, life and um, have engaged in a lot of advocacy work um, mm -hmm. for advanced language learning uh, in the U.S. So very dear to my heart, um, language education. Terrific. So the global hubs are a new and innovative model for sustained interdisciplinary collaboration in locations worldwide. Uh, they bring together faculty, students, alumni, public and private sector entities, and local communities for broad-reaching partnerships that combine research, learning, and engagement. So tell us, how and why did the hubs come about? And Wendy, maybe you can get us started with that. Sure, I'm writing that down. That was a mouthful. <laughs> we we um, are so excited about this and have been having so much fun because things are, are, are really building on each other in ways that are super productive. So thanks for that introduction. I would say the idea for the Global Hubs has been percolating for a number of years. It really is organic in the sense that it speaks to a number of different needs that have come up across the administration, across the colleges, across our conversations with faculty and also with study abroad um, students and parents. So in a sense, it sort of um, has bubbled to the surface just in the past couple of years. I would say there are a handful of things that um, really did make it seem like this approach was necessary. And the first one is one that those of us in the international office um, sort of uh, live with, um, live and breathe, but I think is, is very much true more broadly, which is just the importance of international research, education, and engagement. If you're thinking about international um, problems or even some of the biggest problems that we take on in this university, from climate change to resource scarcity to cultural um, ideas, these are ones that um, require international collaboration and partnership. So the first thing is the importance of international engagement. The second important thing, I think, is that the landscape of international higher ed has really been changing, and that over the past 10 or 20 years, you have the rise of increasingly um, excellent universities across the entire globe, universities that in many cases have Cornell PhDs in their senior administration, presidents or, or, or department chairs, deans, etc., so there are a whole number of institutions for us to be partnering with. At the same time, you're seeing an increased level of regulation and just the set of bureaucracy and rules for a university like Cornell to be engaging overseas. So some kind of strategic orientation to the international landscape seemed increasingly necessary. Cornell, as many of you might know, is a university that's already very international, and our motto really to date has been anywhere, anytime, and so faculty and students are able to select and work on programs in any part of the world, and we want to maintain that, right? So we support that very much, but in looking out overseas, we thought this was a good time to be strategic about choosing a handful of places where we can deepen our relationships. And we do build long-term partnerships with peer universities um, across the, the planet. So that's what the global hubs are. They're meant to be these strategic, um, mutually beneficial exchange partnerships with peer universities. 
And I mean, my um, colleagues here can speak to some of the advantages that they see. But I think that idea of a partnership is one that will allow that relationship to be more sustainable. So it's not just a, an individual, it's really a high-level university partnership. Um, and it will also be, we hope, more embedded with the local community, with the local students mm -hmm. and faculty at the university, with our own alumni and other community organizations. We also are excited for the integration, as Cindy said, of research students, um, so students, faculty, and partners, and alumni. So it's not just student mobility. It's not just faculty. You really do see in these sites the, the coming together of Cornell's whole mission. And you know, Wendy, if I can add to what you just said, anytime, anywhere, in any language. Mm -hmm. That's, <laughs> That's what we would like to see, right. you know, further down the road. That would be most amazing. <laughs> That's one of the key hopes for the hubs is that we can provide that sort of language support. So yeah. whether it's through shorter courses that can help get students to these sites, you know, when they might have a fear that they need to be completely fluent before going to Ecuador or Mexico or um, another location. In fact, if we can help them feel comfortable and then mm -hmm. they can really learn the language while embedded with local students, that would be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So where are these hubs located, the ones that are already in existence? So to Wendy's point about the diversity of language opportunities for language learning and geographic scope, we're really excited to be thinking about our global hub partners across the world, including Australia, China, Ecuador, Ghana, India, Mexico, Singapore, South Korea, Thailand, United Kingdom, and Zambia. So tons of really fantastic options for our students to have a variety of different um, experiences and, and with uh, really covering the range of disciplines and potentials uh, to engage across different types of um, university programs. It's wonderful. It really is this... Um hopefully, diversification of locations because the vast majority of our students have tended to go to the UK and Australia, mm -hmm. which, Angelica, you know, maybe speak different languages, but yeah. for the most part um, are English-speaking. So um, we're really hoping that students will feel comfortable going to Latin America and you know, sitting in some classes where English is spoken, but also really immersing into the mm -hmm. local languages. Mm -hmm. One of the other routes, just to build on that, you know, the ways in which I really think the Global Hubs ties into language learning opportunities is that because there are such a variety of entry points, students are going to be able to come into a Global Hub experience with different basis of, of language experience thus far. And we really hope that these types of experiences as potentially a research assistant for a joint uh, collaborative research project between faculty members at Cornell and the hub location or um, in an internship with our local partners that allows for sustained engagement year after year. Um, or shorter-term class study tour extensions, that those kind of 
different models of entry can really jumpstart um, students' interest in language learning and, and, and push them along so that when they come back to campus, not only do they have even more appetite for what we might call traditional study abroad experiences, but also to really want to enroll in more language classes on campus as well. Mm -hmm. Nice. The only thing I would, I would add, just building on what Rachel has said, is that students at Cornell, when they study abroad, um, they, they have to take a language course if they're studying abroad in a country where English is not the national language or not mm -hmm. a national language. So in addition to, you know, existing language immersive programming that our office currently offers, Global Hub sites um, will meet this university-wide um, expectation, um, and several will go beyond that. And I think there are multiple courses that really directly engage language and culture, and I and I know that that piece is so critical, right? When you think about that inter intersection um, to what these sites can bring. Mm -hmm. So there are integrative opportunities to engage with local communities, uh, research stations, homestays, internships. Uh, I'm thinking of USFQ in Ecuador, uh, where a student can spend a semester at a research field station on the Galapagos uh, in San, San Cristobal. Um, and really deeply engage in language and research, um, where students can study in Quito, where they have more language learning to really enhance their, their, their level, right? Um, and I think that's, that's an interesting uh, piece in terms of curricular uh, areas. For the experiential, the hands-on, the applied experiences, our partners in Sydney um, and UK have internship opportunities um, where the student is integrating uh, with local organizations or businesses. And, and the richness of that experience on the cultural angle, you know, and where that connects to language. I you know, we've sent students in the past to University of Sydney for internship experiences, and they have a course that students have to take as part of that experience about Sydney work culture. Mm. And I've had students come back from Australia and say, my God, like, I'm seeing my whole Cornell experience from a different lens mm. when I think about the way that my mates in Australia sure. see their workday fundamentally different yeah. than how I've learned I'm supposed to be based on what my parents do, based on what you know my expectations are at Cornell. They've come back more equipped to, to, to sort of manage that experience. Mm. So all those outcomes from that rich language and cultural intersection, I think, um, will absolutely be built into these corner, you know, these global hub experiences, um, as well as build upon the language learning that students, uh, I think, are seeking at Cornell and uh, will be able to find there. So can you tell us a bit about what kinds of interdisciplinary projects are in the works or coming down the pike? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that one of the things that I find incredibly exciting about the Global Hubs is the way they allow us to connect across the world, truly, on interdisciplinary thematic topics that take up big questions that we need to be answering together, questions of our time. Um, and so we are right now in what I might call the kind of brainstorming with our partners across the world phase of this. And we're doing so by holding a series of salons this spring semester 
on topics that we think we have particular strength in across colleges and schools at Cornell and that our partners also have expressed interest in. And so we're hosting these salons on a variety of topics, and I'm just going to mention a, a few of them here and encourage listeners to, to join in and tune in mm -hmm. if they're interested. So some of those that are, are happening according to topic, um, one that I'm really excited about is one on inequalities and social justice, for example. We have a variety of different viewpoints and perspectives from law to computer science and information to the humanities. Um, taking part in that topic. We also are building upon the strength of our global grand challenge here at Cornell, the Migrations Initiative topic, um, to um, connect with our colleagues across the hubs on migrations and mobility, including human migration, but also including the migration of plants and animals, microbes and the like. We have an upcoming topic on big data, AI, and new media. So a, a ton of opportunity here for connection from folks in the social sciences to the tech side to communication, education, and the like to, to think about what are the opportunities and the challenges with AI and new media. We also have a focus on One Health, thinking about mm -hmm. from our strength in nutritional sciences, to um, agriculture, public and ecosystem health, uh, of course, bringing in our colleagues at Cornell, Cornell Weill Medicine um, to, to bring their expertise to bear. We have two topics on sustainability, one on sustainable agri-food systems and development, another on sustainable infrastructure and energy, and here we're tapping into our colleagues at the Atkinson Center, as well as applied economics, global development, anthropology, engineering, city and regional planning. So really spanning the breadth uh, of Cornell's expertise. And we have a, a really exciting uh, salon that we've already hosted. You can see the recording online on future cities. This topic also really brought up some interesting intersections with people looking at aging in place and in cities, infrastructure absolutely, tying back into sustainability and uh, sustainable design, as well as um, so social scientific and humanistic perspectives on what it means to uh, think about cities of the future. So those are some really fantastic and interesting conversations and I think are just you know beginning to demonstrate what's possible with these global hub partnerships. Yeah and I've attended some of these salons and it's really been so fascinating and exciting and interesting to see the intersection. Everybody is passionate about their field but to see where all of those connections actually lie and the potential that that has for for learning, for teaching, for research, it's really it's really wonderful. Um, I really can't wait to see where these global hubs are headed. This is a, a very exciting time. And it's neat to see faculty jump in in the Q&A on the salons and say, well, I really think we should explore this topic. And you get a whole conversation going. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Um, Shebnam, where can our listeners find out more about the Global Hubs? Um, well, we have a wonderful uh, web page uh, that we post all sorts of uh, relevant information uh, and that can be reached at global.cornell.edu slash global hyphen hubs. 
So please go to our Global Hubs uh, webpage to uh, get more information about the themes, uh, specific hubs, uh, and salons. Great. Well, it's been lovely to talk to the four of you about this. But before we sign off, we'd like to ask each of you to share a word in a language you speak, love, are learning, want to learn, that makes you laugh. So let's hear it. And uh, Wendy, I'll let you start again. Okay, this is odd. I became really attached to all of the unques in Italian. Um, <laughs> so, chiunque, whoever, comunque, it's fantastic. So, uh, I, I sort of ever attached to a bunch of different words. I like that. Rachel, what's your word? Well, my fa- one of my favorite uh, phrases or word in, in, in Wolof is nominala, which is a way of saying goodbye, uh, I missed you. It's a way of saying I missed you, but it translates as I was nostalgic for you. And I always think that's such an interesting way of phrasing it uh, because one could miss someone and not be nostalgic or you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. be nostalgic for a certain moment of life without necessarily reference to that person. So I just think it's a beautiful way of telling someone that you miss them um, and a, a great phrasing. Rachel, that's like um, saudades in Brazilian Portuguese, which means that same sense of um, nostalgia or missing about anything, a person, a place, a thing. But it's very hard to express fully in English. Absolutely. Cindy, what about you? Yeah, actually connecting a little bit to Rachel and Wendy, um, in Swahili, there's a phrase that uh, is tukupamoja, which means we are together. And you see it used in many ways. Um, you see it in these crazy church services, right, um, as, a, as an expression of faith. Um, but you also often share, you know, say that to a friend or another uh, colleague when you're separating, right? And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's very much that, that sense of even though we are not in each other's presence, we are still together. It's also a form of unity behind a project or uh, an effort. So I, I love Tukupamoja. I also like pole pole, which means slowly in Swahili. And it's just a, a lovely word also used in, in many, in many, many ways. Pole pole. Nice. I think we need to keep that in mind. Everything that you've talked about for the Global Hubs just makes my head spin. So maybe you, you need to take it easy here. Shabnam, what's your word? Um... I don't necessarily love this word, but I'm going to use it just to illustrate a point about the the intricacies of Turkish language. Let me say the word first, and it's really a one-word sentence, uh, and it goes like this. Um, Which is a one-word, but it's a sentence, and it just illustrates the point that... um, Turkish is a, there's a word for it, um, agglutinative Mm -hmm. uh, language. So you can really make words just, you know, adding suffixes and communicate really complex, um, you know, concepts uh, by making a single word. Uh, And the word that I picked is, it's a joke, it's a running joke um, in Turkish. Çemişkezek is the name of a town. And we picked that uh, word because it's already a long word. And this, the one-word sentence that I just used can't be translated um, into English as 
Are you one of those people whom we could not turn into a Chemish Kazakian? <laughs> Which is ridiculous, but you can, you know, express that concept in a in a single word. And this kind of, you know, this um, um, this fact about the language uh, can be used really to hide some sort of like crucial elements um, of a sentence to the last moment, which really makes interesting conversations. So you kind of need to be really tuned into the facial expressions mm -hmm. of the person that you are speaking to because you wouldn't know whether it's a sentence, it's a question, is it negative, positive, until you come to the end of the, the yeah. sentence, which always makes me laugh. <laughs> You know, I think you should reconsider picking up German again because German has that <laughs> tendency too, right? I mean, we we build we build sentences or, or words that are, like, yes, you know, umpteen letters long, which never would fit in your wordle. But. Right, right, and that that what tricked me, uh, Angelica. I thought I could learn German easily because it's so similar <laughs> to Turkish that way, but I was wrong. <laughs> That's too funny. Well, thank you so much for speaking of language with us today, Wendy, Rachel, Shabnam, and Cindy. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll be back next time with more guests and more of what's happening in world languages. Until then... Auf Wiederhören! The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners. And do stay tuned for our next episode.